Uh, wow, just really good. God. Good morning, sinners. Good morning, saints. In the scriptures, those who are in Christ are both simultaneously sinners and saints, uh, loved by God, how we came, and being made holy in Jesus by his forgiveness through a cross. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we rejoice in you through song and in prayer and in being together uh, in one voice. Make us one as you are one. We ask that as we open your word this morning that you would speak to us, that you would uh, incline our hearts toward you, that you would give us eyes that are good to see and ears that are good to hear the things that you would have us hear and see and know and become. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? How might one describe or define Christian? The word Christian shows up in the Bible how many times? Three. Three. And it might not even in the scriptures be a positive word. It might be a negative word in the scriptures, a term of derision, a derogatory term, a term of mocking, uh, probably created by others besides those who were a part of Jesus' community. Is there a more positive word for Jesus' people in the scriptures? Is there a better word or term? Are there better words and terms in the scriptures? That is a question that we're going to deal with this morning, and the answer is yes. And chief among those words is the word or the term disciple, which occurs almost 300 times in the New Testament in reference always positively to people associated with Jesus. People who held Jesus in high regard, people who followed Jesus, people who wanted to be near Jesus, people who eventually called Jesus Lord and treat him accordingly. Synonyms for disciple include student, apprentice, learner, pupil, adherent, and follower. Disciple. And what might be the defining characteristic or traits or traits of disciples? How, well, how might we define that word and what it means to be a disciple and specifically a disciple of Jesus? Someone might say that a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Someone might say a disciple is someone who believes in Jesus. Someone might say that a person is a disciple of Jesus if they know him or if they trust him or if they worship him, or if they obey him. Or someone might define a disciple as a person who believes certain things, like the Apostles' Creed, or the Westminster Confession of Faith for Presbyterians. Or someone who has been baptized, or someone who goes to church, or someone who has prayed the sinner's prayer. Or someone who has repented of their sins, and maybe done restitution and given to the poor like Zacchaeus 
as we learned about last week in the Love Like That series. These and other things all may be or could be marks of a Christian or marks of a disciple of Jesus. But is there something else? Is there anything else? So turn with your Bibles, uh, if you brought a Bible with you this morning, with me to John chapter 13. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you, page 763, John chapter 13, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth of the four Gospels, page 763, beginning at chapter 13, verse 31. Listen closely. The setting is Jesus' last meal, what we call the Last Supper, that Thursday evening with his disciples, the night or the evening before he was crucified. Listen closely. This is God's word. When Judas was gone, in other words, left the room and left the scene, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then that's the end of chapter 13, and there's this kind of artificial chapter break that a monk in the fourth century put into our Bibles, and so we do hard stop there. But really, uh, the narrative continues pretty smoothly into chapter 14, which are familiar words, but which we only primarily read at memorial services. But here's how they go. Jesus continues. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Peter. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And all of this is really big and generating energy and attention in the narrative of John's gospel. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. The next morning, these are climactic words. Every word is important. Jesus is saying goodbye in this prolonged manner. He's giving final instructions. He speaks prophetically. He encourages his friends. He comforts his friends, he answers their questions, he makes some promises, he offers himself as the solution, as the answer, as the way, and as truth. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, and those with him don't even seem to hear it. A new command I give you tonight, this evening, when we're together. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Three times for emphasis and impact, just as the rooster would crow. Three times for emphasis and impact. 
Love one another, love one another, love one another. This is how people will know that you're my disciples, students, apprentices, followers, not by your courage or your purity or your righteousness or your beauty or your testimony or because you speak in tongues or because you do miracles or because of some wonderful gift that you've been giving, but because you who will shortly be tested by fire and uncertainty and danger and disagreement and stress because you love one another. And as Paul Lindquist, I don't think he's here this morning, he may be traveling, but as Paul Lindquist sometimes says, whoa! Doesn't he say that sometimes? But there it is, right there in verses 34 and 35. The Gospel of John uh, is 21 chapters long. By chapter 11, the narrative has already turned, already transitioned to the crucifixion of Jesus and then the brief resurrection of Jesus at the end. That happens in chapter 11 of 21 chapters. And here in chapter 13, Jesus is clearly in the final 24 hours of his life before his crucifixion that leads up to his resurrection. And all of these chapters... 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 are all part of this saying goodbye, transition, preparing his disciples for what lies ahead. And right in the midst of so much and so many words about Jesus' imminent crucifixion for the sins of the world, Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone, the world, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But what's the new command? What's new about it? Throughout the Old Testament, there are commands about love, about how to love and who to love. What's new about this, though, is Jesus saying was the way in which disciples were to love as Jesus had loved them, as Jesus had modeled love and more they were going to be able to, they were able to love in Jesus' power, love with Jesus' power. A new command I give you, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And the little word that we translate as is the Greek word kathos, which can be translated as or like, but it also can be translated as causative. This is what causes you to love. This is what gives drive to love. This is the source of power, as I have loved you. But the disciples don't even hear Jesus. I don't know if you noticed when we read through it the first time, Peter spoke next, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, a new command I give you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Peter replies, Lord, where are you going? Huh? And maybe he was really focused on Jesus' transition and the departure and the whole big narrative, but he doesn't hear what Jesus really wanted him to hear at that point. And anyone else do that? All the time. Especially if what someone is saying is hard or difficult or confusing. A new command I give to you is I have loved you, so you must love one another. Where are you going, Jesus? But despite Peter's and the other disciples seeming deafness in that moment, they eventually got it as the scriptures attest, starting with the apostle Paul after the book of John in the scriptures. We read 
and his letter to the Romans, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Chapter 12. Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt, the continuing debt, to love one another. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul writes, you, my brothers and sisters, serve one another humbly in love. In his letter to the Ephesians, be patient, bearing with one another in love. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, how now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, we always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. The authors of the book of Hebrews and then James talk also about this love for one another, the royal law that comes out of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life, Jesus' model, Jesus' example, Jesus' way. The disciple Peter wrote in his first letter, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter continues, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Peter continues, greet one another with a kiss of love. In John's first epistle, he writes, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. 1 John chapter 3. Dear friends, let us love one another. Chapter 4 of John's first epistle. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Let us love one another. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love in us, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. In John's second epistle, which is buried deep in the end in the back of the New Testament, and rarely does anyone read it, John writes, And now, dear lady, the recipient of this letter was a woman. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have heard from the beginning. I ask that we love one one another. And apparently the early church, despite their imperfect and sometimes erratic leadership and stumbles, got it. There's a dude named Quintus Septimus Florence Tertullianus, known in church history as simply Tertullian, thankfully. He was a prolific second century author, apologist, polemicist, and might have been the greatest or the earliest of the Western theologians. He lived in Carthage. He was an observer of his world, and he recorded over and over what he observed among the pagans in Carthage that they would say among Jesus' people in their little communities, see how they love one another. See how they love one another. And these people were our spiritual ancestors. I don't feel a lot of connection to Carthage personally, but these were our spiritual ancestors. Jesus didn't say that his disciples would be known by their buildings or their tithes or their titles or their degrees or their orthodox statements of faith, which are important, all of these things important. We were talking, uh, some of us, over the week, and how do we know 
about other churches. For example, when we're visiting out of town and we want to find a church to worship with, will we go on the website and look at their statements of faith? Yeah. Jesus didn't say that his disciples would be known by their buildings or titles or degrees or orthodox statements of faith or by crosses hung on their walls or crosses hung around their necks or little fishes on the backs of their cars, all of which do say something. But instead, Jesus said explicitly that the one characteristic, the one trait, the one mark that would identify a person as a follower of his more than any other mark is love for other Christians or disciples of Jesus, which doesn't seem all that unique or remarkable, does it? Until one gets into the church and realizes how very different members of even one's local congregation can be and are. And so potentially difficult to love. I don't know who anyone in the congregation voted for over during the last presidential election. I honestly don't, except for myself and my wife. But I am 99% sure that there were people in this congregation who voted for Donald Trump, and equally sure that there were people who voted for Joe Biden. In what was certainly the most polarized political climate and election of my lifetime, which had and includes some Christians questioning, sometimes out loud, whether or not one could be a Christian at all and vote for candidate A. Or whether or not, on the other hand, someone could be a Christian at all and vote for candidate B. And yet we held it together. We survived the election of 2020. And yet it may be true in the church what isn't in our culture. May it be so. See how they loved one another. See how they love one another, despite our differences. You know that among Jesus' first disciples, there were political extremists, recovering tax collectors, rural blue-collar workers. See how they loved one another. There were in the earliest church nationalists and immigrants. See how they loved one another. There were rich and poor, there were slave and free, there were men and women, there were people from every social caste one could imagine. See how they loved one another. By the, time, by the time John was writing this gospel, there were men in Christ who had been circumcised and men in Christ who had not and would never be circumcised. There were old school people and new school people, people who loved the traditions and people who seemed to want to change everything. There were traditionalists and progressives. See how they loved one another. Was that always easy? Absolutely not. The church is or can be or is called to be like one big happy family, but sometimes families are not happy. Is there an amen? Because sometimes family members are the hardest people in the world to live with as some of you may know, because they, we share space with one another. They, we share things with one another. You have to share space. You have to share things with people with whom you're family. You're in each other's way. You do laundry differently. You load the dishwasher differently. Some people have the nerve to leave dishes in the sink. You use the same toothpaste tube, and some people just don't know how to do it. 
and make a mess of the place. How can one love such people? In Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ. New Testament professor, teacher, author, scholar, commentator, etc., etc. Frederick Dale Bruner has written, it is important to notice that the power, say that with me, It is important to notice that the power for disciples' love for one another does not come from the disciples themselves. It comes in this passage from the preceding love of Christ for them, a love they had already known and experienced. If a person is truly a disciple or apprentice of Jesus, that person will grow in love for others, beginning with love for others who are in Christ. And this will happen both by grace and by effort, by the Holy Spirit and by an act of the will or intention. This will happen by both grace and effort. Not earning, but effort. By God's Spirit within us and by an act of the will. God is love. The scriptures say that. We talked about that several weeks ago and a couple of weeks ago. God is love and Jesus was, is God. And therefore, by the transitive property of equality that we all learned in ninth grade, Jesus is love. And to live in him and to live by him and to live through him will inherently lead a person, cause a person, help a person to become more loving, to want to exhibit true biblical and Christ-like love, which we defined in previous weeks as to live and to act with another person's well-being first in one's mind, to seek another person's highest good and to speak, pray, and otherwise live in that direction, to sincerely and deliberately and sacrificially desire for another person both blessing and benefit. Biblical love is not devoid of emotions or feelings. It is not cold, but it always involves and emanates from the will, from a decision, from intention. And we can do this. We have and we can with God's help. You can do this. You may not think of yourself as an overly loving person. I don't, just by nature. I say that may not be your natural temperament type as it is for some people, just to be effusive with love. And that's okay, we're all different, but regardless of how one interacts with others or not, I'm certain that God can and will give his people toward one another hearts and minds that are generous and patient and kind and tender and selfless and servant-oriented, humble and good. Within this congregation, there are classic hymn people and there are contemporary worship song people. And we love one another. Within this congregation, there are people who seem to enjoy pink walls and people who love anything but pink walls. And we love each other. Within this congregation, there are green backdrop people and there are no backdrop people. And we love each other. Last Thursday evening, we had a very long and protracted session meeting, uh, elder board meeting. And we talked about a, a pretty big issue that was going to kind of have implications for a long while. And I'm telling you, around the table were a lot of San Francisco Giants fans and one L.A. Dodger fan. <laughs> and we loved one another, <laughs> mostly. 
through his son and through his spirit, God has resourced and empowered his people to love one another through thick and thin and wealth and poverty, through diversity and good times, through seasons of transition and change and through seasons of stability and calm. God has given his people made in his image the ability to see in one another people who are made in his image, who are redeemed by his son, who are filled with his spirit, as therefore people who are to be loved. And you and I each have a part in that, in making that true and bringing that into reality. And with God's help, even the grumpy of us, the grumpiest of us can be a part of that, for which I'm thankful. And this loving one another may seem rather self-centered, for the church, for us. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, as we looked at last week from chapter, from chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel. In the, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels, Jesus' focus seems to be on love of neighbor, other, outsider. And here in John's Gospel, John remembers Jesus talking about love for one another. However, do note this, it was, it would be, and is true that the everyone of verse 35, which includes the world, would know who were Jesus' disciples, apprentices, imitators, by the way that they love one another, by the way that we love one another. That we love one another and how we love one another matters, not just for the church, us, in here, but to and for the world. According to Jesus and John, the mutually lived out love of Christians for one another will be the single most important and effective missionary force in the world. A world who is watching, a world who is observing, a world who is listening, a world that knows us. So I want to invite and encourage you this morning, just talk a little family time for a couple of minutes here. How does that happen? It happens when we know one another. It happens when we interact with one another. When we come into this space and then quickly leave this space on Sunday morning, we're really expressing love for God through our worship, through our presence, through our prayers. But God also calls us to love one another, which takes a little bit more. It takes time being together. It takes time knowing people's names. It takes time investing in one another. We come to receive, but we also come to give. And that's what it means to be church and to be the body of Christ and to be one another. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, if you're not a part of a life group, if you're not plugged into a ministry, if you never, ever, ever go to the patio to connect, to meet other people, I encourage you to do so because there's this whole element of life in Christ that's not happening for you, but it's available and God calls us to tap into. We're not a big congregation, but many of us don't know each other's names, even some of us who have been together for years. So what I want to invite you to do is going to make some of you horribly uncomfortable and drive many of you to the live stream. When in fact, we want those of you on live stream, if you're able, when you're able, when the time is right for you, to join us in the house. But I want to ask you this morning, before you leave the sanctuary, to meet three new people. 
before you walk out the doors. Now, if this is an absolutely repulsive idea for you, and the walls are going up, and your blood pressure's going up, just quietly exit during the last song. It'll be okay. Just head for your car. No judgment. We love you. Totally cool. But if you can bear it, if it's possible, before you leave the sanctuary, meet three new people. Put a name with a face, and then that's the beginning. Remember how Moses didn't really know God until he knew God's name? Even just knowing someone's name is the beginning of a relationship which begins a process of being able to love one another. Love is not an amorphous idea or verb out there. It involves action, it involves knowing, it involves relationship, it involves giving and receiving. And so we can do this. So we want, we're going to take a small step in this direction today. Hi, what's your name? So that next week you can say, how are you? And really mean it. What can I do for you? How may I pray for you? How can I be a part of this community in Christ that God has called to love one another that will eventually bear witness to the world so that San Mateo will one day say, oh, see how they love one another. The people in the churches aren't just bigots and judgmental, narrow-minded, exclusive people, but look how they love one another. Huh. And maybe, just maybe, with hope and prayer, they too will be joined, drawn into the community of love, overseen by its most glorious resident inhabitant, the Lord God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your mercy toward us, your patience with us, your grace overflowing through Jesus for your people and for the world. Help us to respond to your love with love, to you and for you, and to one another and for one another. And in that, may your glory and your fame and your goodness the knowledge of which may it increase on earth and increase in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our world. May you be glorified. We will be satisfied. Good Father, good Son, good Spirit. Amen.